0: You're listening to a sermon from Bentry Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bentry, visit BentryChurch.com. Well, good morning, Bentry Church. Well, we love children around here, don't we? Um, we love seeing the expectant moms that we tend to have around here, and we love babies, and we love seeing children as they grow up, uh, and families are a wonderful gift, amen? Families are a wonderful gift, amen? amen. And, and families are at the heart of ministry. It's the very first institution that God set up. Well, before we get started with our preaching today, I wanted to just remind you of something very important about today, and that is on January 22nd, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation designating the third Sunday of January as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. That's today. And pastors and churches across the United States use this day To bring awareness to the attacks that are daily waged against infants, human life through the abortion industry. And I would say that they also attack the organization of the family itself. And we mourn the 60 million plus lives, 60 million lives lost, and the countless women that have suffered mental anguish through abortion. As we speak in support of the value and the purpose and the sanctity of life today, I want to just make something very clear for the women hearing me and those online. If you have had an abortion, please know we love you. We love you and that there's grace here and that God loves you and that there is forgiveness in Christ Jesus for those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? And not only that, there's an acceptance in the body of Christ right here, Bentry Church. There's no condemnation. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's not just women, is it? I know that most abortions take place because men have asked the women in their lives or even coerced them, coerced them, or sometimes have even forced them into abortions. This is a horrible thing, but men... If you're guilty of this, know that there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus for you as well. Turn to Jesus. Repent. In just a couple of moments, we'll pray for our country and join with churches all over the country as we pray for children and the unborn and mothers. But it's not just prayer that we offer as help. Although prayer is, is huge. I'm not diminishing prayer at all. One of the best ways we can protect unborn lives is by bringing in light. The darkness of the abortion industry and speaking against it, listen to me, as a sin. Make no mistake, abortion is taking a human life. It is murder. But we can have also give our support to local pregnancy help centers and mothers that need help and uh, pregnancy help centers that daily reach women and families with this message that there is hope even though this pregnancy was unplanned. We have two pregnancy health centers here in Loveland that we have supported, uh, Birthline here in Loveland as well as Life Choices, both of those are great. Both of those organizations are worthy of your financial support and even in your time serving as a volunteer. And when it comes to voting, Uh, As a Christian, to use your vote carefully to support candidates and legislation and and know the businesses who support abortion and who are against it. We want to make sure and do that. And then we can also help through adoption of children, which our church has been a part of, which uh, we love that. We love the story of adoption uh, or giving to adoption ministries. Well, before we go any further, I want to just pray for our country, pray for our service. If you would bow your head with me, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the lives of the children that you have given us. To be mothers and fathers and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, but even closer to be church family. God, to lift up those who have been touched by abortion. God, I pray that you lift the guilt, that you give restoration. And God, I pray that you would um, just anything that people are considering that is not of you, that you would help them to see what you want from them. God, I lift up uh, our church family and us as individuals that we would know. What to do? How to support um, life? Got to lift up our state right now, our our governor and our state. That God, although they are pro-abortion, God, I pray that you would use them, change their mind to um, change that status of abortion to make it outlawed here. God, I pray that uh, for adoptions that would take place, even within this church. And God, we thank you uh, for the chance and the freedom to speak up. God, I lift up our service today. I pray that as you would uh, speak to us, that we would leave behind the worries from the week or the things that are coming up, God, uh, that we might be worried about. God, that we would just put those aside for just a few minutes and focus on you. God, help me to disappear behind the words in Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, as we once more dive into the series titled, So That You May Believe. Now, if you're new to Bentry, uh, we are working our way through the Gospel of John, kind of verse by verse. We're not in a hurry. If you're able, would you stand in reverence to God's Word being Read aloud in our midst. John 6, verse 10 through 15. Goes like this. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to them those who were seated. So also the fish. As much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of God. You may be seated. What's very interesting to me here is most, if not all, of these people at this big crowd had been on their way to the Passover feast in Jerusalem. They stop over for this feast. Because Jesus doesn't give them what they want, though, would some of them become the ones who would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him, in just a matter of days, weeks. You see, there's such a thing as purchased loyalty or conditional loyalty these people were expressing that they wanted to make him king he didn't want that they were saying well follow jesus and declare uh, we'll declare you as king if you do exactly what we say now that's a big if isn't it because it's not belief based on faith uh, but performance of Jesus doing exactly what they want him to do now don't get me wrong here I'm not saying that these people weren't amazed at this miracle I'm not saying that they weren't even grateful for the miracle but what I am saying is that gratefulness for a free meal would only carry them so far Now these people think that their problem is that they need more bread, they need more fish and that the Roman occupation in their land was the thing that was keeping them enslaved. That was their number one problem they thought but the real problem was that they were enslaved to sin. They were separated from God. They're they're not just physically hungry, they're spiritually hungry and they don't realize that. They are what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, dead spiritually. They were spiritually dead, cut off from God, but they don't know <laughs> what they don't know. In other words, they don't know that they're dead spiritually. All they know is that they are missing something that will complete them and make them happy. They're searching for something that will make them happy. It's what St. Augustine of Hippo was referring to. When he says in his book of confessions. He says this. He says you have made us for yourself O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now everyone wants to be happy don't they? Everyone wants happiness. Now I use that word happy. In a way meaning fulfilled. Like there's purpose in your life. Now this crowd and the rest of the world as well want purpose, meaning in life, to be made complete, but they don't know what they actually need to be complete. Or you could say they don't know what they need to be made alive. Now we know If we're in Christ Jesus, because we've been made alive spiritually, we have been born from above or what Jesus has born again. They think this physical life will be made perfect if they make Jesus their king and he'll throw the Romans out. Now, here's a mistake I often make when I study scripture. See if you make this mistake too. I'll read a passage like this. That's a narrative story. And I'll take what I know of scripture and then I'll take my life experience and then I'll lay my life experience over what I know of scripture. And I judge these people based on my point of view. Do you do that? It's a natural thing to do, but here's where we have to put ourselves in their sandals and look and see what they see and hear what they hear. We have to hear what's happening from their point of view. Now, when we read this part of them trying to make Jesus king and then do it by force, it makes me angry at this crowd. But what we have to do here is then ask ourselves a question. In fact, two questions. First, what is the reason they are trying to get Jesus to follow their plans and make them, make him king? And second, we've got to ask, could I be following Jesus for the same reason? What I mean is, am I trying to add a little bit of Jesus into my dreams and plans and trying to make him achieve my purpose and my will? Am I trying to make him king of my life, but really I'm just forcing him to follow my plans? You with me? Now, this is, this is the big question. Because if we just want Jesus to follow our plans and ha- add his okay, his stamp of approval to our plans, well, we are. Look, I ask myself, could that be my reason I'm following Jesus right now? This is one of the big reasons that the New Testament is so very plain in the call for Christians to deny ourselves and our own desires. You ever notice that? To put the, to death the desires of the flesh, of our body. Why? Why put to death the desires of our body? Well, the reason our desires are, they're messed up. They're tainted with sin. Go ahead and take out something to take notes with or write this in your Bible. Uh, get ready. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians five seventeen, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Notice the capital S. We'll come back to that. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Underline opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now look, Paul makes an absolute truth claim right here in this passage. What we mean in saying that the claim is either true or it's not true. See if, you're, see if your belief system matches up with what the Bible says here. Paul declares, the desires of my body, the flesh, are against the spirit. Notice that capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, meaning whatever we desire in the flesh is against what God wants. Christians, we understand that, don't we? We know what sin is, but we're still drawn to it. Even at the same time we've repented of it, but we still want to participate in sin, at least we're tempted. We're horrified by it, at the same time being drawn to it. We're conflicted at times, aren't we? Only, listen to me, only saved people can really experience this conflict, though, between the flesh and the spirit Because non-Christians don't have that spirit yet. Before someone is called to life by God, before they are born again, we know what? They're dead spiritually. Lost people are only dominated by the flesh that only wants what it wants. Their sin nature keeps them incapable of doing anything that would escape sin's bondage. Jesus makes this point very clear in verse 44. We'll get there someday. It's further down, but you can read ahead. Look look down and look at it for just a second if you want to. This is why God, the Holy Spirit, must intervene in the lives of the elect in regeneration and saving us. We'll see that in verse 44 and look over at verse 65. Otherwise, no one would ever be saved unless God intervened. When the Spirit comes into our life, That's when the struggle begins between our old self that still wants sin and the new born-again self. This is a hard message for us to hear because it goes against everything we have ever been taught by the world. Think about this. From school, from movies, we're taught that the truth is within us. That we're basically good on the inside. But here Paul is saying that is absolutely not true. Now that's painful to hear. What Paul is getting at here is it's the result of original sin, that we are born into a sinful world unable to not sin. Now, don't get the wrong idea here. When I say original sin, that doesn't mean that we refer to the, it doesn't mean that we refer to the first sin and of Adam and Eve. You got that? That's not the doctrine of original sin. Rather, the doctrine of original sin defines the consequences to the whole human race because of that first sin. The vast majority of creeds and confessions of the orthodox believing churches down through history agree that The fall happened. That man and woman fell as a result of that first sin. We're not necessarily guilty of that first sin. We weren't there. But we are born into the world. Tainted by that as a result of that first sin. When King David cried out to God in Psalm 51 verse 5. Listen to what he said. He prayed, I was brought forth into iniquity. And in my mother's womb uh, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now David, he's he not saying that his mother and father were sinful for having children. Or the, the physical union they had. And he's not saying that he had done something evil in being born. No, no, no. Make sure you grasp hold of this. King David is simply acknowledging the condition of every human born into this world fallen into sinfulness but what does that mean that we are born into a sinful fallen world the original sin we find ourselves in well this is one of the most important things for us to understand as a christian about our true condition before a holy god one of the most basic understandings of what reformed theology is is total depravity This is a key doctrine in the doctrines of grace. It's foundational to understanding our real condition outside the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So make sure you grasp this. Write this down. Key doctrine. You ready? Key doctrine. Total depravity. The fall into sin was so serious that it affects the whole person. And I would say it affects every person. Total depravity, the fall into sin, was so serious that it affects the whole person. And listen to me. (laughs) It will until we die. Now, I told you what this key doctrine of total depravity is. Let me tell you what it is not. Everybody got this down? Okay, here it is. Total depravity does not mean utter or complete depravity. total depravity does not mean utter or complete depravity you said paula uh, you just told me it's total that means utter or complete that's not what it means it's just the name of the doctrine because when we hear that word total total depravity sometimes we think it's saying every human is as bad a person as they could possibly be like some pol pot or Adolf Hitler or Mao or Stalin, that's wrong. It doesn't mean utter or complete depravity. That's not what it's saying. The to- doctrine of total depravity means that even the stuff that we think is good in our lives has been at least poisoned by sin. It affects our minds. It affects our thinkings. Like we can still think, right? Correctly? Well, Maybe. Maybe at least some, but what this doctrine is saying is that sin has affected our capacity to reason. We read in Ephesians 4.18 that before the Holy Spirit makes us alive in Christ, that our mind has become darkened and weakened by sin. Because the label though, total depravity, seems to like it means utter depravity. Some theologians uh, say use a better term like... uh, Theologian, late theologian R.C. Sproul used the phrase radical corruption. Radical corruption. Radical meaning the root word is, uh, or the word, the root word means literally root. So in other words, the root of our corruption comes from that place. This darkening of the mind is what what we call the noetic effect of sin. The noetic effect of sin, or in other words, the effect of, of sin on people before they are made alive in Christ Jesus. Their minds are darkened by sin. Now, if you're a Christian and you've ever tried to reason with people, why should they become a Christian? You just kind of reason with them and they don't get it. Have you ever had that happen? Me, I've had that happen. Like you say, look... My friend, the truth is as plain as the nose on your face. Why can't you see it? And they understand your words. It's that it's human reason doesn't work to save somebody. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1 verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, And divine nature have been clearly perceived. You with me? Been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. We saw it driving in today. You saw the snow-capped mountains. When I got here, they just had that pink hue on them, right? You go, man, God had to create that thing. In other words, there is clear evidence that we can see, just if we look at creation itself, that there is a God. And because of that clear evidence, we are without excuse. We should believe. But reason alone won't save you or anyone. Because being saved, because of this corruption, our reason has become darkened the noetic effect of sin. The apostle Paul goes on and tells us the effect on the lost. He says this in the next verse, uh, verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their few foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." because we are born into this fallen world, we could say that our will is no longer in pristine shape and that we no longer have the moral power to choose what is right. When we study the New Testament, that we find what we find is that our will is no longer, well, totally free. It's in a bondage of sin. For example, I'm able to choose either Tacos or burritos for lunch. Amen? What we've lost as a result of the fall, though, listen to me, is the moral ability to choose God. Or in other words, we still have a free will. It's just not as free as Adam and Eve's were before the fall. Before Christ saves us and calls us to life, we are enslaved to an evil impulse and the desire of our hearts that are darkened by sin. Even the so-called good things, the good stuff we want is tainted at least to some level so that we, we don't know what good actually is totally. Original sin that, that leads to total depravity is really about our will being enslaved to evil impulses, we're bound by this messed up desires of our heart. The body, the mind, certainly, the will, even our spirit, all of our person is affected by sin. You don't have to be a bent tree very long to hear me say this. I want you to see it. We are not sinners because we sin. You go, yeah, we're sinners because we sin. No, we're not sinners because we sin. But that we sin because we are sinners. It is our identity before Christ. We're sinners. That's why we can't stop sinning. Now, I get that this goes against everything you have ever been told by the world where you live. That... You've been told that people are basically good at heart. It's just that some choose to go bad for some reason, but we don't know. But the truth is the opposite. We are born messed up. Here's our predicament we are born into. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12. This is one of those passages you probably should um, memorize. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. By the way, how many are righteous? Oh, good job. You can add and subtract. Uh, One understands, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So check it out. How many people do good? None. Hey, you know this is right, don't you? At least for you. Because nobody knows you like you. I know it is for me. What's amazing is that when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, calls us to life in the Son, He does it not because He sees that you're kind of better than other people. No. God calls us to life to be born again, born from above, born by His sovereign grace alone. Giving us new life. It's not that he looks at some and goes, Ah, you're pretty good. You're probably a pretty good Christian. Listen to what the Apostle Paul reminds believers of in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, We are buried therefore with him, with Christ, by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, why would we want to bury our old self? Why would we want to get rid of our old flesh? Look at two reasons, um, or a reason two verses down. We know that our old self, talking about our sinful self, was crucified with him, talking about Jesus. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin... Oh, I love this. Look at verse 6 again. We bury the old body because it was a body of sin. It wanted sin. It was totally infected with sin. Radical corruption. Total depravity. So that we might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Praise God. That when we are born again, that we have been set free from sin, set free from radical corruption, from total depravity, set free from the way we were. This is the cry of Christians from the very first church until now, that our old self, the old sinful us, has been crucified with Christ Jesus on that cross, putting to death the old me, the old sinful desires. Now, I've said this regularly because it's something I have to remind myself of daily. I quote this from the, uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Look at the first half of this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The message... It's not all doom and gloom. Yes, our old self is dead, and we must continue to kill our old sin. As the temptation of sins well up within me, I have to uh, ruthlessly try to kill the sin in me. But look in the second half of this verse as he speaks about how we are to live now. This is powerful. Check this out. And the life I now live in the flesh I live By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I read that verse like this. And instead of saying the word me, I want you to read this again. Repeat this back with your own name instead of me. Just to yourself. Like this. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved Paul. And gave himself for Paul. You do that. Just do it right here. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for. And gave himself for. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? We've been set free, but we have nothing to brag about on our own in and of ourselves. We were in bondage, bondage, unable to choose Christ. But the Spirit calls us to life at the direction of the Father. So, can we brag about that? No, no. Look what Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 6, 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ... By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We look forward to the resurrection of our bodies. Amen. Man, we look forward to the other side in heaven. But right here, right now, we will have to remember that denial of our our desires comes first. Our old sinful self is dead, but it's kind of like a zombie. If we feed it, it kind of comes back from the grave, keeps coming back to life, walking around. I really want that thing we used to do. You remember? And you're like, shut up. You're dead. When we were, when we sin as Christians, it's like feeding the old zombie us's. So Christians, we constantly are confessing and repenting of our sin, not because we fear that we might lose our salvation. That's in the hands of Christ Jesus. But we are still saved by the blood of Jesus. But sin still looks good. It still tries to draw me away. From God's will, it causes us to pull away from the church. It makes us think like, well, all those other people are in a group, but I'm on the outside. No, you're not. That's the old zombie you calling that out. Sin draws us away from God's will for our life. It causes us to pull away from that body. So we repent daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minutely. Multiple times a day, seek to follow Jesus. God, help me to get rid of the sin. Here's what it means on a practical level. Write this down. There must be a death of our old self before finding life. There must be a death of our old self before finding life. Like Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But what does that mean to die to self? What does it mean that we are crucified with Christ Jesus? Let me see if I can sum it up this way. You ready? I'm going to give you another one. You ready? Okay. We are to say no to anything that lies outside the will of God. We are to say no to anything that lies outside the will of God. We are to say no anything that lies outside the will of God. Listen to me. That's even the good stuff. This is difficult for me. Stay with me. I mean, stuff that might not not be bad in and of itself, but that Jesus hasn't called me to that thing. We have to say no to any plans that we think might be trying to earn God's favor that he just doesn't have for us. Instead of receiving the gift of eternal life through faith, in Christ alone. In other words, there is no way of earning our salvation. We simply cannot. We can only receive God's gift. But for us that have believed and are Christians now, the same holds true. We must not put any trust in our own plans and desires and thought process. Why? We've got to realize that even the best plans that we have are at least somewhat tainted by the old zombie other us's. So we say, God, I want what you want for me so that God's will is accomplished through us, not our will. That sounds like a bummer, right? Some of you are like going, does that mean I have to like go to a convent? No, no, no. Like Paul, are are you saying that just because I, I want to do something, I shouldn't do it because it's driven from the old sinful desires? It sounds like we could never be happy if that were the case. But that's not the case. Now watch this. Check this out. This is the cool part. So hear me out. Because as we grow mature in Christ Jesus, we begin to think like Jesus and feel like Jesus. We're given a new heart and a new mind. As we travel up those four mountain peaks of the Bent Tree Discipleship Pathway, higher and higher up those mountain peaks, we've talked so much about, we begin to change, don't we? God gives us a new way to feel, a new way to think. Certainly, we get a new way to operate as well. But it's this new heart and new mind that we are being given. We begin to have the desires of Jesus and not our old sinful desires. Once we have some track record of growing spiritually, once you have some spiritual maturity evidenced by some spiritual fruit being produced in your life, you begin to notice some of the temptations to sin simply don't excite you like they used to. Now we have to be very careful here with this because a temptation to sin, especially old temptations that used to have it in its grip, that once held us in chains, it wants to get us back in its grips. We have to remember that We've been set free from the chains of sin, right? Although we're dead to those sins, they can be revived quickly. And remember the zombies coming after you. They want to come and enchain you uh, in those sins. Now, if we, can I say enchain? I think I just invented a word. If we are not careful, those old thoughts, the old actions can come back to life and ensnare us once again. Now, for a Christian, a saved believer who sins, Do we lose our salvation when we sin? No. No. We have forgiveness in Christ Jesus, atoning death on the cross. Amen? But what sin does in a believer's life, in a Christian's life, is to damage our spiritual growth and limit our relationship with God back to what we were talking about before. We are to say no to anything that lies outside the will of God. That's what God is saying to his people in the book of Ezekiel. Old Testament book, chapter 36. Look at verse 25 for a moment. God says to his people, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, look, capital S, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. On this side of life, it's a battle, isn't it? To say no sometimes that to what we see as good stuff, but not maybe the stuff God's called us to to say no to our sinful desires. It's why we live a life of repentance until he calls us home. So how do we know when we've hit a level of spiritual maturity in Christ Jesus? The answer is a painful one, but let me show you. Look at this question. How do we know when we have said no to that which is contrary to the will of God? How do we know when we have said no to that which is contrary to the will of God? Here's the answer. When we have stopped complaining and worrying and trust God no matter the circumstances. Told you it was painful. When we've stopped complaining and worrying and trust God no matter the circumstances. Folks, I'm not here yet for sure. In fact, I have a long way to go. Here's the def- definition of faith. Jerry Shockley, one of our shepherding elders, gave me this week. Faith is confident in obedience to God and his word regardless of my circumstances or how I feel. I love that. The Bible has a word for this complaining, has a word for worrying. It's a word murmur. It's what people do when they complain about really anything. Think back to the people of Israel being let out into the wilderness, cross the Red Sea. They've been in Egyptian bondage, but now they don't like what God is doing for them. They murmured. What is murmuring? Look at this. Here's a definition. Murmuring is expressing rebellion against something by murmuring under or mumbling. Under our breath. Well, this gets right to it, doesn't it? Murmuring is expressing rebellion against something by mumbling under our breath. It's called murmuring because it's literally the sound it makes when a whole bunch of people whisper their discontent that just is barely audible to our ears. Moms, you know this one, don't you? You have a murmuring gift to to be able to hear that from across the house. It's amazing. You can hear your children murmuring sometimes across town. It's the same for God because you may only be thinking or saying it under your breath or thinking it. But it's loud enough for God to hear it. Do you do this with God? God do you complain to God? This is a maturity level question. By the way, one of the best things you can do to find joy in your everyday life is quit complaining, quit mumbling, quit murmuring. Now, don't misunderstand. You can always, always, always talk to God, tell him your frustrations. Lay your worries out to God but then when he speaks move on. I think a lot of Christians have tried the staring God down game. Have you tried that one? Like who's going to blink first? Hey listen to me. God wins that one every time. And when he wins, which he always will, we act like little children and say fine I'll go your way but I'm not going to like it and I'm going to complain the entire way. Now we've been around the world here with doctrine today i've taken you on a tour of what the world has to say about i mean all the way around the world with doctrine but i wanted us to see that as this vast crowd of jewish people that jesus feeds and then after they see this tremendous miracle they say let's make jesus their king they wanted him to endorse their plans and he simply says no and walks away Let's get down to brass tacks here. I said that the other day, and young people go, I don't know what that means. It means get down to very basics, foundational things. What we're going to find as we move forward in the next section of chapter 6 is important, is that this crowd is going to act and move and follow Jesus, but not because he is their Lord, but because he fed them a dinner. Quite literally, they had been hungry and had their physical needs met with this massive feast. The crowd believes that they need more food and had their physical needs met by Jesus. But what they are missing is that they are dead in their sin. That they have a spiritual hunger. And that Jesus is going to offer to give them the bread of life, literally himself, to meet that hunger. I'll give the story away here. Really, I hope you always go ahead and read ahead and know this passage well before we preach through it. But Jesus will call them to life, but most will reject him and only a few will follow him. Only a few out of this. Let's end our time. And next time, God willing, we'll see one of the most iconic pictures of Jesus in the New Testament of when he walked on water and what that means. Would you bow your head? Let's just enter a time of prayer together. Just prepare your hearts for a moment. God, we've heard from your word. We've heard your voice speak. I lift up my brothers and sisters to you right now that you would show them what you want them to do now that they've heard truth. God, I lift up those with worry. Those that have been murmuring, complaining. Would you help them to be able to stop and to rest in who you are? God, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you right now that are wrestling with sin from their old dead Other zombies. (laughs) Would you expose that sin, point it out by the power of your spirit, and help them repent of it? Listen to me. Christians, as you just pray, you pray for those that don't believe. If you're not a Christian, but you sense what i say is true today would you look up here for just a moment you see here's the thing that big crowd i talked about at first they thought that their biggest need was more food or to have romans thrown out so they wouldn't be under the roman occupation but they had a bigger need And their need is the same as your need, and that is sin. You see, your sin, any sin, separates you from a perfect, sinless God. It makes you, quite literally, at war with God. Now, you would think, well, does God hate me because all my sin and the absolute answer to that is no because here's what we also know from the bible is that he offered his own son to take your place to take your personal sin on his back and pay for it on the cross so how do you take advantage of that Romans tells us that simply to believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, that Jesus really is God. That he is the son of God, God raised him from the dead. Look at this. You just believe that. You go, Paul, there's got to be more. There's not. But here's the deal. Hear me out. It's not just that Jesus takes your sin and forgives it and nails it to the cross. It's like you being put to death. Instead of you, it's Jesus put to death on the cross. Your sins are paid for. Look, what's amazing about this gig is that you get what Jesus deserved. This is important to understand. Because he lived this perfect sinless life. He was righteous in every way. And so what happens is not only your sin is forgiven, but the righteousness of Jesus is given into your life. So you go, Paul, what do I do? Turn from your sin, repent from it, believe in Jesus' name that he is the son of God. God, we put our trust in you. We say you are our king, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.